Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, we, this is the big grand finale of this study as we've worked through the summer months. What a, an amazing study this has been. It has, uh, it's been pretty much overwhelming for me and uh, I'd love to just be able to dive right back into it and start from the top and go all the way through it again, but maybe we'll do that in the future, maybe on a Wednesday night or something around here, but uh, hey, before we head into the study here, let me get that thing figured out there, okay, got that. Before we head into the study, let me just remind you that uh, the Game of Life class is pretty much filled up. There might be room for just a few more folks. If you haven't signed up, you better sign up really quickly. And for those of you that have signed up, you guys know that uh, we have you do a number of things. It's an eight-week class. And one of the things that we ask you to do while you're going through the class is to, to visit a small group. Small groups are really important to us here. But you won't need to visit a small group if you will go to the connection party a week from tonight. And just show up to that. You can check that off your box. And then uh, after you go to the connection party, then show up to the uh, Game of Life, which uh, starts that following Tuesday night right here. So uh, make sure you sign up. And for those of you that are signed up, come to the connection party. Uh, sign up to go to that. And uh, I know that you will not be disappointed. Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, we're uh, looking at verses 35 through 39. More than conquerors, inseparable love. Greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. And uh, grab your sermon notes out. There's a, there's a statement by Dell Tackett from Truth Project that has always kind of rolled around in my head, and I really like it because it's challenged me, and it, it says this. He asked this question, do you believe that, you, that what you believe is really real? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? That's really an important statement. That's a really an important question. The subject of assurance is one of the most important elements in the Christian experience. There's no higher privilege than to be a child of God, and there's no greater experience than to know it, to have the assurance of that. I mean, you, you might say, yeah, I'm a child of God, but to have the experience of it on your heart, to have the assurance of it is, is something totally different. And um, Romans chapter 8 has a magnificent ending, and yet the point is simple. It's about assurance, the assurance of God's inseparable love that nothing can separate us from his love. If you could get that one truth here this weekend, it would revolutionize your life. If, if you had nothing but pain, suffering, and hardship from this point on in your life, it wouldn't matter because you have his, his love, his inseparable love. If you understood, and if I could understand the, this idea, this concept of his love, it would change everything about us. It would change our marriages, it would change our lives, it would change our our finances, everything about us. It would just revolutionize our life. In fact, assurance of his inseparable love is heaven on earth. It's heaven on earth. You, get, you could just get a glimpse of it this morning, and I pray that that's, that's what you're able to experience this morning. Three things we're looking at here this morning. You can see on the notes, you can be assured of his inseparable love. That's the first thought. The second one is why you can be assured of his inseparable love and then how you can make his inseparable love real to your heart. That's what we'll find in this text. But let's first pray and then we'll read the text and then we'll unpack these notes. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. 
we are overwhelmed with your presence here this morning. And uh, God, there is no pleasure on earth compares with your boundless and irresistible love, your steadfast love, your never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for us is better. It's better than anything in life. You demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die in our place for our sins, reconciling us to you and giving us the greatest gift of all, the wealth of your presence in our lives. We pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, give us the assurance of your inseparable love, which is the strongest foundation that any human being could ever have. May your inseparable love not just be clear to our minds, but real to our hearts. We pray in your Son and our Savior's beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this text. So I I had been making three by five cards through this whole series, memorizing, meditating on uh, these verses. (laughs) And man... They're, they're truly overwhelming uh, truths, and uh, they are getting more and more into my heart. And so Romans 8, 35 through 39, as we wrap up this study, wrap up this uh, chapter, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Rhetorical question. He finishes this chapter with five rhetorical questions. He's just trying to drive this truth deep into our hearts. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Obviously, he's going to say no, no, nothing, no one. He's going to go through a list here. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. That was literally happening to these folks. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he goes to another list. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. That's, that's a wonderful text, isn't it? Wow, what a way to end that chapter. Man, that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So here we go. You can be assured of his inseparable love. It's an absolute certainty that God doesn't just love you now. It's an absolute certainty that that we know that in the past he's loved us, he loves us now, but we can also be certain that he will love us into the future. Into the future. He will take us with him into the future. He will always love us. Nothing can shake that or separate us from his love. That's the point of that. Now, there's two things we need to look at here as it relates to his inseparable love. Here's the first one. First, fill in the blank on your notes. So you can be assured of his inseparable inseparable love no matter how much you struggle with suffering outside of you. No matter how much you struggle with suffering outside of you. He gave us a whole list right here, verses 35 through 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, now he's quoting from Psalm 44, 22. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. That was happening in that first century with Christians. 
They were being martyred for their faith in Christ under Emperor Nero. And it's terribly bloody what was going on. It wasn't uncommon in those days for Nero to impel Christians on poles after having dipped them in pitch and then lighting them on fire to light his courtyards. That was common. That's who he's writing to. There were people who were tied up to horses, horses going opposite direction and having their limbs pulled off of them. They were thrown to the lions. They would drill holes in their head and pour hot lead into their head. You can read more about it also in the second part of the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, talks about them being sawn in two. And, uh, and so it's just, it's horrible. And yet what's fascinating about this martyrdom is that these people were going to their deaths, worshiping and praising their Lord and Savior, their risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It wasn't enough to put out the, the joy that they had in him. It's, it's pretty fascinating. And I'm thinking, I want what they have. I want that kind of joy that it, no matter what goes down in my life. By the way, this is, uh, I did a little research here this morning and it was actually from the Christian Post. You can Google search this. The Christian persecution watchdog group called Open Door. November, from November the 1st, 2014 to October 31st, 2015, there have been over 7,000 Christians that were martyred, that were killed for their faith on our planet. 7,000. In fact, they said as they went, went through their list, that 2014 was the bloodiest, was the worst year for Christian persecution than any other time in modern history, and then 2015 surpassed it. And then they said, persecution and violence against Christians is continuing to intensify and spread across the globe. And we're so protected and, and shielded from that, but it's happening. What he's writing about here, it's even happening to this very day. Christians are being persecuted. And he's just saying, hey, that can't separate you from the love of Christ. His love, I believe, becomes even more real to us when we're going through difficulties. And so you can be sure of his inseparable love no matter how much you struggle with suffering outside of you, but also no matter how much you struggle with sin inside of you. No matter how much you struggle with sin inside of you. And I think that second list is really talking about that. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers. The rulers there is principalities, it's demons. Nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think the first list is suffering. This list is more about sin and how this, the things in our life and how we can sin in response to those things. Do you, do you ever struggle with pride, anger, envy, lust, greed, gluttony, sloth? Yeah. All of the above. Yeah, and he says regardless of even if you're struggling with all of those things. Um, by the way, you need to know this, that there is sin in your heart that you don't know about yet. And when it comes to the surface, you're going to say, I can't believe I'm capable of that. And I can't believe God could love me after I've done that. 
still in your heart, just a matter of time. Uh, here's how I, I see it. Marriage, parenting, relationships in general is the Mack truck you drive over the bridge of your life. It doesn't create the flaws, it reveals the flaws already in your structure, in, in you. Because, I, let me just be honest with you, I was, I was a pretty decent person, really nice guy, <laughs> until I got married. And, and initially she brought out the best of me, but then later on, as we were married for a, a period of time, she brought out the worst in me. It was horrible. And I knew that if she could just get her act together, I'd be a much nicer person. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. See, I thought it was her. Well, and not that she doesn't have, you know, a list of things that she needs to work on. I've got that list for her. But I've got my list that's much longer than hers. And she wasn't the cause, she was just the occasion. And there's something about relationships, and that's the reason why a lot of times people say, well, I'm, I'm an introvert, I don't like to get close to anybody. Well, why is that? Really, ugliness comes out, or what's the deal, okay? <laughs> exactly, there's stuff in your heart that is not until the pressure's on, not until difficulties begin to happen, that's when it all comes to the service. Praise God, it's coming to the service. Don't run from it. This is wonderful opportunity for you to run into the arms of your Savior who loves you, gave his life for you. That's, that's the point of this. And so, so you can be assured of his inseparable love no matter how much you struggle with suffering outside of you, no matter how much you struggle with sin inside of you. Because here's the deal. When, when we struggle with suffering outside of us, we are tempted to say, every one of us, we all do this, you know you do this, we're all tempted to say, what a mess my life is, God, God has obviously abandoned me, God couldn't be loving me, I mean, isn't that what we typically say? The harder it gets, the more we think, well, there's no way he could be around, where, where is he? Was he, did he turn his back on me and all of a sudden this happened? And, um, and Paul is saying, Oh, yes, he is. He's still loving you. He's loving you right in the midst of, of that suffering and that difficulty. And then when we struggle with sin inside of us, we are tempted to say, oh, look what a mess I am. God couldn't love me. There's no way that God could love me. And Paul would say, oh, yes, he does. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so... Why you can be assured of his inseparable love. That's the next big idea here. Let's take a look at that. Why you can be assured of his inseparable love. Verse 37. He says, no, in all. This is kind of the hinge between these two lists. No, in all. Not outside, not apart from these, but in all. In the midst of suffering and sin. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I understand what a conqueror is, but what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? That's, that's an interesting idea that he's using here. Turn to the folks sitting around you real quick and discuss that. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Why would he put so much emphasis? He's pretty emphatic. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. That's pretty big stuff. That's really important stuff for us to understand. So real quick, do that. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you.
Okay, what do you guys think? Here, here I've, got the, I've got the answer on your notes. It's your next couple fill in the blanks. Here we go. So to conquer is to be victorious over an adversary. To be more than a conqueror means that we not only achieve victory, but we are overwhelmingly victorious and our foe becomes our servant. Isn't that interesting? So as I was studying that out, I was really thinking about that. So overwhelmingly, what is that overwhelmingly? Any uh, Arizona Cardinal fans here in the house? No. Did I I hear a no over here somewhere? Okay. No, maybe not. Yeah, so Arizona Cardinal fans. uh, So kind of, it's interesting. They say that this is their year. What do you guys think? Okay, Larry Fitzgerald on the cover of Sports Illustrated and... And so, and if you know Bruce Arians, that he tends to like to run up the score. He doesn't sit on his lead. Did you, have you noticed that? Isn't that kind of how he is? It's like, it doesn't matter. Let's just bury him. <laughs> and I thought, that's a perfect illustration of what it means to be more than conquer. It's one thing to win by maybe a field goal. It's another thing to win by about 10 touchdowns, okay? <laughs> and just bury him. It's like, yeah. Well, that's the point here. Overwhelmingly overwhelmingly victorious and our foe becomes our servant, works to our advantage. I started thinking about that. James chapter one, verses two through four, it says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials of many kinds, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces what? Perseverance, patience. So let patience have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, not lacking anything. In other words, he's saying, listen, listen, Consider it joy. I'm still working on that first part, trying to consider it joy when I go through hard times. But he's saying, hey, consider it joy. Don't call your hard times joy, but consider it joy because this is what God's going to do in this. He's going to take, and and this which is meant to harm you is going to actually work to your advantage. He says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing this is the trying of your faith. It's trying your faith. It's going to produce perseverance in you, so let perseverance have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, not lacking anything. There's going to be a maturity and an intimacy that's going to come into your life that otherwise you'll never be able to experience. That's what he's saying. In other words, your adversary, those trials, those difficulties, those sins you're struggling with are going to work to your advantage. They're going to drive you closer to your Savior, and you're going to experience something in him that you wouldn't trade it for anything. That's the point. That's what he's talking about. I, I think it goes along also with Genesis 50, 20, where, where Joseph, remember the, the hardship that he went through? And he looked in the eyes of his perpetrators and said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So you can look at whatever you're going through, whether it be suffering or sin, and it almost seems like this is gonna take you out, but God is saying, no, it's not gonna take you out. My love is with you. I'm going to see you through this. I love you more than you could ever imagine, and I'm going to have that work to your advantage. And you're going to overwhelmingly, you're going to be more than a conqueror through that. That's the point that he's making here. We need to understand that and kind of work through that. There's a couple... uh, theologians that kind of help us with this idea, like Timothy Keller, he says, those looking at Jesus as he was dying on the cross had no idea that they were looking at the greatest act of salvation in history. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they, their world was falling apart. They had spent three, three years with Jesus, 
and all of a sudden he's hanging on the cross and they're going, what is this about? And sometimes we look at our circumstances, we look at our struggle with sin and God's saying, no, 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 it's not over yet. I'm still working in the midst of that. I love what Paul Tripp says, the cross is evidence that in the hands of the Redeemer, moments of apparent defeat become wonderful moments of grace and victory. That's, that's what, what, he, what he means. So why you can be assured of his inseparable love. So verse 37 is saying we're going to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now what does that look like as it relates to the struggle of suffering outside of us that we are more than conquerors? Here's the next point in your notes. Because God is sovereign. So this is why we can celebrate that and this is what it means to be more than a conqueror. Overwhelmingly, we're going to run up the score and our adversary is going to serve us. It's going to work to our advantage. Because God is sovereign, your life is never out of control. And because he's your savior, he is your savior, he gives you what you need when life is beyond your control. Do you ever feel like life's beyond your control? Actually, if you were in touch with reality, it's pretty much all the time, okay? Because you can't live this Christian life. It's a supernatural kind of life. And so it's really beyond your control. You need to learn to depend on him. And that's a great place to be. And so he gives us. Now, let's do a little review. This is the end of chapter 8. We've spent 10 weeks. This is our 10th week in chapter 8. So let me do a quick review just to show you. That's throughout this chapter. Because God is sovereign, your life is never out of control, and because he is your savior, he gives you what you need when life is beyond your control. Some of you need to take that and probably write it on a card and just meditate on that and think about it. Because you're going through difficult times right now. And you need to know that truth. And it needs not just to be a concept, it needs to be a reality in your heart. But Romans 8.28 affirms that. For we know that all things work together for what? For good. We sang a song earlier that talked about that, that celebrated that truth. Romans 8.11 says, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells where? In us. Resurrection power. Romans 8.24 through 27 tells us basically, let me give you a summary statement, we have a joy in Christ that the worst kind of suffering cannot destroy. Verses 31 through 32, we, we studied that a week or so ago. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Listen to me. Now listen. Listen to the rationale here, the logic. If he didn't spare his own son to take care of your worst problem, your worst problem, you're being alienated from him, you're needing reconcile, reconciliation back to him, if he took care of that problem, won't he take care of all of your lesser problems in comparison? Yes, that's what he's saying. Absolutely. If he didn't spare his own son, he's not going to hold anything else back from you that is for your good and his glory. That's, that's solid truth. Yeah, but see, that's, that's where the enemy gets in. If he can't get you to question... The existence of God, he'll get you to question the goodness of God. Well, he's holding out on me. He, he never holds out on you. He never will hold out on you. He loves you. He has your best interest at heart. You're not thinking clearly. You're not thinking according to God's word. You're letting the enemy get into your head and deceive you and, and to cause you to become despondent and discouraged and maybe even depressed. He's got you. The enemy will get a hold of you through those lies and so you've got to come back to that, that truth. And, uh, 
And you know what, what I find interesting here is that as you study through, and really a great way to pray is to pray a lot of the, the Bible prayers. Paul prays a lot of different prayers. Ephesians has a couple different prayers there where Paul prays for the people that are certainly under persecution. And here's what I find really fascinating about Paul's prayers. Paul never prays circumstance enhancement prayers. <laughs> Bigger car, I want to get the promotion. Yeah, you know, the, take the heat off. I want a happier life. He doesn't pray for those. He doesn't pray for circumstance enhancement prayers. This is what he prays typically. If you read his prayers, you study his prayers, he prays Christ entrancement prayers. That they would be entranced with the beauty and the glory of who Christ is and what he's done for them. Because you see, if you are captivated by who Christ is and what he's done for you, if you understand his inseparable love and it's, you have the assurance of his inseparable love, that, that heaven on earth, you can face anything. You can face absolutely anything in life. That's why he prays that prayer. That's why he prays that kind of prayer, and that's, that's really, and, and really what's fascinating is that their existence was far less secure than ours is today, and yet he continued to pray, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. See, see the issues with, with your marriage or your finances or your job or any number of things is really a, an issue of you need to see the beauty and the glory of Christ more, more clearly than ever before, because it will change in how you're beginning to see your suffering or your sin. It'll change all of that. You want to overcome your suffering? You want to not be overtaken by sin? You need to see the beauty and the glory of Christ more clearly. That's what you want to pray for. That's, that's what we all need. See, without all in intimacy with God, without, without God being our most satisfying reality, good times can lead to overconfidence and spiritual indifference and bad times to discouragement and despair. We need to find in him that he is our most satisfying reality, regardless of what we're going through. The more you rejoice in your sovereign Savior as your ultimate joy, the less you'll fear the loss of earthly joys. And by the way, you're going to lose all of your earthly joys eventually. You know that, don't you? Did you know you're going to lose all your earthly joys? Yeah, it's just, it's a matter of time. I mean, that's why you see in Job where he says, naked I came into this world, naked I'm going to exit. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He already knew that. He understood that. So he wasn't clinging to all that stuff. That's why he had a kind of a loose grip on all those things. And, and what you find with him is that he rejoiced in his sovereign Savior as his ultimate joy. Therefore, he had less fear in the loss of his earthly joys and was able to let go of those things because he find his, found his greatest delight in him. And so that's how it relates to the struggle with suffering outside of us, that we are more than conquerors because God is sovereign. Your life is never out of control. And because he is your savior, he gives you what you need when life is beyond your control. But as it relates to our struggle with sin inside of us, we are more than conquerors. Here's the next point, because no matter how much you continue to struggle with sin, oh, I love this. This is really great. No matter how much you struggle with sin, your relationship with him is not based on your performance, but on the perfect record of his son. Did you know that most, most Americans, most people on this planet, when you invite them into a relationship with God, when you, when you tell them and, and 
and invite them into understanding the gospel. Most of them see it as based on their performance, based on, it's, it's, they see it as moralism. Oh, I gotta get my act together. I gotta start living right. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, put your faith in Jesus and his finished work. It's based on his performance. That does change you, there's no doubt about it. But you don't change and then put your faith in Christ. You put your faith in Christ and he begins to bring about the change. That's the point here. See, it's not good advice at what you must do to be right with God. That's, the gospel is not good advice. By the way, you need to pay attention to a lot of the Christian teaching in our country today. A lot of it is good advice. It's good advice, but it's not the good news. Good advice, good advice at what you must do to be right with God. It's it's good news about what he has done to make us right with God. It's a finished, it's finished work of Christ. It's done. You know the big old thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, the temple? It was torn in two from top to bottom. You and I have access into the throne room of God, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. It tells us in Romans 8, it starts with there is no condemnation and it ends that there is no separation that we have access to the throne room of God and we have union and communion based on the work of Christ. For all eternity, we have him, we have his prayer. That's the best thing about the Christian life. I absolutely love that. I'm gonna, we're going into a new teaching series. It's called Thrive, Habits of, of Grace. I wanna teach you how to really enjoy God's presence what that looks like and how to do that because I, it's my favorite thing to do. I could spend hours just studying God's word and spending time in prayer and just enjoying his presence. I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm gonna teach you how to do it and that's the, the series at the end of this and uh, it's, there's nothing absolutely better. So, so let me give you some verses here, a quick review of what we've already studied in Romans 8. Romans 8, 1, you guys know this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Your sins can never, ever, ever be held against you. Romans 8, 14 through 15, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Why are you freaking out? But you received the spirit of adoption. You're his child by whom we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. We have relationship, we're his children. Verses 29 through 30, for those whom he foreknew, he goes through this whole list, it's called the golden chain, he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorifies, Verses so that we can be conformed into his image, so the struggle that you're having with sin, guess what, he's still working. He's still working on you, he's conforming your life more and more into the image of, of his son so that your life shines the glory of who he is. And then verses 33 through 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I mean, why should we, we should never live in any kind of guilt and shame and wallow in our sin. Get back up, run into his arms. Let him bring transformation to our lives. We no longer have to hide in guilt and shame. You are forever God's dearly loved child. He will never turn his back on you. 
He will never angrily throw our sins in our face. He will never withdraw his presence and his promises. If you didn't earn your salvation, how can you unearn it? You can't. If you didn't earn it, you can't unearn it. And, and so it's just understanding the grace of God. His grace isn't a license to sin, but the power to live for his glory. In Christ, there is nothing you can do to make him love you more, nothing you have done to make him love you less. I was, as I was really thinking about this idea, okay, what does that mean? How can I make sure that that's really deep in my heart? Nothing can separate me from his love. Man, that's, that's revolutionary. Nothing can separate me from his love. So I've got his love like right now, but I don't, like, I don't live in the reality of that. I should be overwhelmed with that love. I've got his love. I can experience his love now. Lord, help me to know your love deep in my heart. came across a, an excerpt from a, a message preached by Donald Gray Barnhouse from this text. This is just an excerpt. Listen to what he says. I think he does a really good job at defining this idea of nothing can separate us from his love. He says this, you do not have a problem too great for the power of Christ. You do not have, let me say that again because some of you don't actually believe that because I know you're facing problems right now and you're pretty overwhelmed by that, but you do not have a problem too great for the power of Christ. That's what that means. Nothing can separate you from his love. You do not have, you do not have a problem too great for the power of Christ. You do not have a problem too complicated for the wisdom of Christ. You do not have a problem too small for the love of Christ. You do not have a sin too deep for the atoning blood of Christ. One of the most wonderful phrases ever spoken about Jesus is that which is found on several occasions in the Gospels. It is that Jesus was moved with compassion. He loved men and women. He loves you. Do you have a problem? He can meet it. It does not matter what it is. The moment that the problem comes to you in your life, he knows all about it. If there is a, is a fear in your heart, it is immediately a sorrow in his heart. If there is a grief in your heart, it is immediately a grief in his heart. If there is a bereavement in your life or any other emotion that comes to any child of God, the same sorrow, the same grief, the same bereavement is immediately written on the heart of Christ. We find written in the word of God in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. If you haven't been tracking with me throughout this, you need to hear this. You need to listen. You need to listen. What I'm talking about here, this is the love you have been looking for your whole life. There is no love like the indispensable and costly love of, of our Savior for you and I. There's no friend love. There's no married love. There's no parental love. There's no popular acclaim love that will give you what his love will give you. Listen to me. This is the love that our hearts long for. 
See, if the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, if his, if his inseparable love doesn't dominate your thoughts, stir your deepest emotions, motivate your actions, then something else will. And something else is. This is what he created you for, is that his love would dominate your thoughts, stir your deepest emotions, and motivate your actions. That's why you do what you do. Not out of fear or pride, but out of a heart captivated and smitten by all of who Christ is and what he's done for you. That's the essence of the Christian life. See, if, if you're motivated by any other reason to, to live a virtuous life or to do moral things other than love, that's not the Christian life. That's called moralism. The Christian life is motivated out of this, this amazing love. If you believe what you believe is really real, if you really believe this idea that we're talking about, this, his inseparable love, if you believe that the God of the universe really loves you, it will give you an emotional wealth that is unshakable. It is unshakable in the face of criticism, suffering, and even death. I mean, it's an amazing love. It is an amazing love. And there are times in my life that I am overwhelmed with that love. I don't experience it near enough. But there are times in my life I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm just... A couple weeks ago, I think it was right, it was in this service, I started weeping and I couldn't stop. I got it together for the other two services, but I couldn't do it for this one, okay. I mean, I was just overwhelmed. And, I, and from time to time, his love does that to me. It just just overwhelms me. So here's the next, the next point. How, how you can make his inseparable love real to your heart. Boy, that, that's, the, that's what we want. Now, why is that important? Because, because there are a lot of people who would say that they believe God loves them, but it hasn't changed their lives. Listen to me. It didn't change my lives for, for many years, many decades. I could tell people, I could preach it. Hey, God loves you. And yet I had a whole lot of pride and anger and envy and lust and greed and gluttony and sloth and all these things rolling around in my heart. It didn't change me. It was a concept, not a reality. It was clear to my mind, I could articulate it, but it wasn't real to my heart. There's a major difference between the two. Doctrinal soundness minus heart experience. So you might know what the Bible teaches. Oh yeah, God loves us. He gave his life for us. Minus the heart experience is dead orthodoxy. You're, you're a Pharisee. You'll become just like a Pharisee. It's, it's spiritual deadness that won't protect you from life's temptations. Eventually you're gonna be deceived by the pleasures of life. You're going to find something in life that's going to satisfy you more than, than God. But, but you need to know that, no, only he can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. So you've got to have doctrinal soundness plus heart experience. Heart experience minus doctrinal soundness is emotionalism. Heart experience minus doctrinal soundness is emotionalism that won't protect you from life's trials. Eventually, you'll be disillusioned by the pain and the problems of life. If all we get together and we just like kind of jack each other up and go, whoa, let's get excited about what? What are we getting excited about? We need to get excited about the truth of God's word. In other words, 
Sound doctrine should stir us and move us emotionally and then move us into action. And that's what ultimately transforms us. That's what changes our lives. Doctrine of soundness plus heart experience, that's where you begin to thrive spiritually. That's the assurance of his inseparable love, which is a heaven on earth. In fact, let me give you the next uh, fill in the blank. This is my big segue into our next series. But I must regularly, if I'm going to experience his love deep in my heart, I must regularly step out of the traffic and take long loving looks at Christ's indispensable and costly love for me until it engages and energizes my whole person, my mind, emotion, and will through habits of, of grace that's spiritual disciplines. That's the subtitle of this upcoming series in order that I might thrive spiritually. So we're going to talk about thriving spiritually. And the subtitle of this next series is Habits of Grace. How do I do that? How do I get his love deep in my heart? Where it's not just a concept. It becomes a reality in, in my life. Now, if we come together regularly and we sing songs and we study scripture and it's very doctrinally sound, but it doesn't move us emotionally, it, it's not worship. Or if we come together and we, we go through the ceiling and we're all emotional and yet it doesn't change our lives, transform our marriages and our everyday lives, it's not worship. See, worship as it says here, it engages. So I must regularly step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at Christ's indispensable and costly love for me until it engages and energizes my whole person, mind, emotion, will. Through habits of grace, spiritual disciplines, in order that I might thrive spiritually. I got that step out of the traffic. It's from Psalm 4610. It's from the message. It says, step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God. How many know that you got to do that from time to time? You guys understand what I'm saying? So what does that mean, step out of the traffic? It means that you've got, you've got to know how to go into the inner rooms of your heart. You've got to get rid of the noise and the hurry out of your life and go into the inner rooms of your heart and see clearly what is there and deal with it. You've got to know how to do that. That's what spiritual disciplines are about. That's what this next series is going to help us do. So how do you do that? You've got to... You've got to, if I'm going to deal with the stuff in my heart, I've got to learn how to take long, loving looks at my Savior. This is asking the Holy Spirit to help you experience your theology. See, if you aren't regularly reveling, enjoying, celebrating his indispensable and costly love to the point, to the point that you are lost in wonder, love, and praise, then your spiritual life is too shallow. My wife showed me a, a, a video, a video clip from the women's retreat. Ladies, did you have a good time on that uh, women's retreat? Yeah, it was, those of you, 120 ladies that went up there, close to 120, had a fantastic time. We were worried whether or not you're going to come back or not. So we thought maybe we might have to close down the church last weekend. Almost needed to, but hey, we were able to pull it off without you. How'd that sound, guys? Okay. But my wife showed me a video clip of the gals worshiping. There was a, one of the times that they were worshiping. Oh my goodness, I wish I would have been there, but I couldn't because it's a women's retreat and they wouldn't let me. But, but man, it was amazing. It sent me through the roof. I teared up as I listened to these ladies worshiping the Lord as the worship team was leading them. You have to have those moments in your life where you just, you're overwhelmed. 
You're overwhelmed by the wonder and love of who he is, that he loves you. And no one has ever, ever, ever loved you more. No one will ever, ever, ever love you more. Inseparable and costly love? What does that mean? Let me read to you a story that I think helps us to understand that. There's a true story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance of recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was an ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary? The doctor asked. Johnny hesitated. His lower lips started to tremble. Then he smiled and said, Sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room, Mary pale and thin, Johnny robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube, and with the ordeal almost over, Johnny's voice, slightly shaky, broke the silence. Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why his lip had trembled when he agreed to donate his blood. He thought giving his blood to his sister would mean giving up his life, and in that brief moment, he had made his great decision. Isn't that crazy? True story. Indispensable? Yeah, she would have died without that blood transfusion. Costly? Well, he thought it was more costly than what it really was. It was only a pint, okay? <laughs> but he was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. Listen to me. The God of the galaxies came to this earth and bled and died for you and I. And it was indispensable. Yes, Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. There's no other way that we can be reconciled and have the presence of God in our life other than through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Costly, it wasn't just a pint of blood. Our Savior gave his life for us. It tells us in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, for it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your former empty way of life that was passed on to you from your forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of our Savior. Amazing. Now here's, I'm gonna end by praying. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. The band's gonna come up here and we're gonna end by singing really the theme song of this uh, series as we wrap it up here this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So Father God, we pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and as he dwells in our hearts through faith, may we be rooted and grounded in his love, rooted and established in his love. Give us, give us the strength to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of your 
inseparable love and to know along with all of the saints this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing this song?